to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. Are you curious how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from OpenStore at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTCPod. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Matt Zarnecki, who is the co-founder and CEO of Verb. So Matt, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the company you are building? Sounds great. My name is Matt. I'm one of three co-founders of Verb Energy. Uh, Verb is on a mission to make great energy accessible every day with better for you, effective energy solutions for the modern consumer. Um, This began actually as a side project in a dorm room almost seven years ago and translated to our first product launch in May of 2018, a plant-based snack bar caffeinated with organic green tea. Um, We're really excited. We've built our brand direct consumer to date um, and are in the process of getting ready to go on new channel. So Matt, what's your background? Um, I think it's awesome that you were able to start it as a side project. And it's actually funny. We've heard a couple of brands and sometimes the best ones get started as kind of like a side project that just like pulls you in. And the next thing you know, you've got like a real big business going on. But um, what was your background before and what kind of prompted you guys to to go after the energy bar category? Yeah, absolutely. So at the time uh, when Verb got started, I was studying biochemistry. I had from the age of about 15, uh, been super, super interested in trying out all sorts of diets, figuring out how I could optimize my own personal energy levels. Um, I was, you know, paleo, before paleo was cool. Um, And as a college student, um, I was very busy. I was, you know, trying training for races, I was taking a lot of intense biochemistry classes and had this experience one night where I walked into a coffee shop, grabbed a coffee and a granola bar, looked at my receipt, and I spent over $7. Um, So thought to myself in that moment, what if there were a sort of less expensive, more convenient way to energize. Um, And that's where Verb was born. Um, Kind of right alongside that, I had a little bit of an an entrepreneurial itch in my first couple years of college. I had a friend who lived on the floor below me who would come up into my room at two in the morning and say, hey, Matt, (laughs) I think I figured out how we could harness energy from the moon. And I would say, you know, Dylan, like, you should probably go back to bed. Uh, But he and I actually started an entrepreneurial incubator going into our sophomore year of college. 
Um, it was called Yale Launch. And the goal of the incubator was to start companies. And the two of us had a little bit of experience previously doing that. Um, and the two of us actually to this day are both working on companies that we started out of that incubator. So what? Was, so that's really cool in terms of you, you guys had the entrepreneurial itch, you had an idea and you had like a background in, in biochemistry and that sort of thing. So what was... Um, you know, as a side project in college, uh, I I don't think, you know, CPG brands are the biggest thing to come out of Yale all the time. So what, what, how did, how'd you get started? Like what were, what were the first things in terms of like putting the side project together in your dorm room, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, um, one of the first things we did was we looked at the existing energy market. So from the beginning, we have thought about Verb as an energy brand. We have built Verb as an energy brand. And when we looked at the energy market, we saw a lot of products that were delivering caffeine. Caffeine is really good for you. There are literally hundreds of studies in human models and animal models touting its benefits across all walks of life. What we noticed, though, is that many existing energy solutions had real downsides. Coffee often had actually too much caffeine. It's very acidic, would cause stomach issues, um, not good on an empty stomach energy drinks full of sugar or artificial ingredients, energy shots full of chemicals. And we kind of thought about that and figured, well, what if we could design the sort of perfect energy solution or solutions? And that's really how we how we got started. We recognized that it was a big market. Um, and from there, you know, <laughs> we just gotten a college kitchen and bought a bunch of ingredients on nuts.com <laughs> and the the three of us andre bennett and i um would go into the kitchen after our classes at the end of the day and start prototyping all sorts of energy foods we'd make granolas we made a sponge cake that was like green and disgusting but we eventually landed on bars um, started handing out these bars to our friends um, and eventually started working in a local bakery um, in this local bakery, we would go in there around 7 or 8 p.m., spend five or six hours making two to 300 bars, hand sealing them, putting stickers on wrappers, boxing them ourselves, um, and then we'd sell them on campus the next day. These were true MVPs. They needed to be refrigerated. They had chocolate chips in them. If you left them out of the refrigerator for more than 15 minutes, they would melt. Um, but this crazy thing happened, and the friends that we started you know, selling the bars to started telling their friends about it. And then all of a sudden, my phone number became this sort of public entity on our college campus, I'd get texts, all points in the day saying, Hey, I, you know, I heard you're the verb guy, could you deliver a box of bars to me in the library at 11pm. Um, and that was how that was how we really like organically um, started the company. Um, and from there, you know, began to scale and, and whatnot. Um, but those were the roots. Yeah. One, one thing that I think is really cool about that is college is such an amazing opportunity to be able to start something like this because you have customers that are like right there that are your friends. So if you're actually able to create a product that fits a need, like you're able to kind of get your first ideas of product market fit like really fast. Right. I think and I think the big barrier traditionally before for like college students is like, well, you're in college, launching a product is really hard, but there's probably now, I mean, in 2018, the landscape was probably was even harder, right? Like you yeah. were 
you were putting stuff together in your kitchen, you were like making it, but like physically you had people that you could have try out your product, a bunch of people, and then like a network to like really bring it home. And like, even today, it's probably never been easier to be able to like launch products. Like you're saying from a dorm room, have people try it. And like that initial pull that you were seeing of people hitting you up and being like, Hey, I need, I, I need that fix. I need, I need some energy. Help me out. Like that's, that's amazing because that is what like the first, um, blips of product market fit start to look like. So from then, from there, you can, you can start to scale things up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's actually so funny that you bring that up because while those initial learnings were so helpful and while after that initial kind of dorm room working in a local bakery project was successful, we launched a V1 of our bars in um, 2017. We got one pallet delivered to my apartment on campus. It was 10,000 bars. We set a goal to sell 10,000 bars in 30 days. We managed to do it with this spreadsheet that showed every single sports team and individual that we could sell those bars to. We were over the moon. We got into this accelerator um, out in Palo Alto, thought we had product market fit. And then over the next six months, we watched our sales basically go to zero. But what we also did during that time was we launched a site online um, and started getting some customers organically who are searching for this kind of product. As our sales were declining, we got on the phone with those customers and said, who are you? Why is this product resonating with you? What could we do better? And what we realized was that the customers that were purchasing online were a very different persona than those that were on our college campus. They were older. They skewed highly female. And we asked them what we could do differently about the product to really make it perfect. And that's where we landed on this idea of a small form factor, 90 calorie bar that still delivered an energy punch. And so our V1 was a traditional granola bar with caffeine. V2, very different product. Um, and so in November of 2017, about six months before I graduated, we had gathered those insights, come up with a new direction for the brand and launched that V2 of the brand, new packaging, new everything, new formulas in May of 2018. And that's what set us on a path to actually building a scalable business. But those dorm room learnings were essential. What I think is really interesting about that is like, you know, the in the community and the dorm rooms, there might have been purchases based on buzz or somebody telling someone else. But what happens when somebody looks up these specific sort of health products or whatever, it's like the intent to purchase is very different than like a purchase based on FOMO. You know, that's why SEO is so powerful. You have the search intent. This person is literally looking to solve a problem. Whereas and um, you know, whereas like a buzz, it might be on FOMO, on hype, learning you know, it's very similar to like, you could compare the two to sort of influencer marketing efforts versus SEO. Yes, influencer marketing is powerful, but is it a FOMO-based purchase? And how much more loyal is that purchase going to be than somebody who's actually following an affiliate, a blogger, or something like that, who, you know, they're part of their newsletter, they're actually involved in that community, or they found the product by search intent? So um, the, the part I find really interesting is like how your phone number became, you know, a big thing. I actually um, in, on campus, I've actually been I don't know if I heard it from another podcast, but 
I, I think there might be an opportunity for, say, a big creator or somebody to run a business just like entirely off of text messaging and without a website. Um, it seems like that's pretty much what you were doing then, right? Uh, that is precisely what we were doing at the time. We did not have a website um, and we were able to, yes, build a very small local uh, on-campus business exclusively over text. Um, over the past six years, we have learned so much about the power of SMS, the upsides of SMS, and also the challenges of SMS. And I think that it is such an incredible tool for businesses to be using in this day and age. I know you've talked about that before with previous guests on the podcast. Um, what I think is amazing about the platform that we've actually built to date, um, and it, it tracks along nicely with the trajectory and the way we've built the brand over the last six years, is that we still remain very close to the customer. When I was in my dorm room, I would deliver a box of bars to someone by hand and ask them what they thought of the last batch. To this day, when we do a product launch, I will go onto our text platform and talk to customers. We just relaunched our brand, new packaging, slightly upgraded products a couple of weeks ago. I've spent hours this week texting our customers, texting our highest LTV customers, asking them, is there anything we could do better? What do you like about the bar so far? Is there anything confusing in our messaging, answering questions? And I think that ability to just stay so close to the customer has been pivotal for our success as a brand online. And we really hope that we can translate those learnings to offline as well. Would you say that the auto, you know, the, the conversations on text with a customer are, it's a different tone and a different form of communication than by, than by email? Should it be treated differently? Or is it just a different place to, to access a consumer um, rather, you know, more so than like sort of a different environment? Yeah, that's a great question. I have always thought of SMS as a channel where you can build relationships and drive sales as opposed to a channel where you can drive sales. And when we think about the way that we leverage SMS as a brand, first and foremost, it's how are we building relationships with customers over time? We have a great long tail of our subscription. Many of our customers that are subscribers today were subscribers in 2019. Um, and I attribute Part of that to the efficacy of the product and another part of it to the way that we've interacted with them and built the brand over time um yeah matt um so one thing that i kind of wanted to unpack a little bit is i think it's really cool the fact that as ramon was alluding to before it's like you basically built this brand with sms in mind like out of your dorm room right you start to scale up um, you think you have PMF. I think it's really interesting how you were talking about seeing like actually a decline in sales and then actually having to like reshuffle and retarget and understand who your ICP was. Um, I think that's really interesting because in the early stages of businesses, a lot of times, and this is something that like we went through a lot with Seated in the beginning, we were building our, our, our business on campus in Boston. I know you guys were in Boston as well. It's not like the biggest restaurant city, but like we were trying to prove out a thesis that could we put, could we match up customers with restaurants, right? In the beginning, the customers that were doing it, we were a bunch of college kids. So we knew a bunch of college kids and these weren't people who go to like restaurants all the time. But like, as we're building out our tech, if people 
could were were college and they could go eat at a restaurant and like we could build out that infrastructure of the business and start to scale it up right even though our icp who it ended up being was someone totally different than a bunch of colleges kids going college kids going to restaurants and i see a lot of parallels with you saying you started the business you start to scale it up and then as you grow as more as you're getting customers from more owned channels from search you start to kind of like understand that your ICP, it's not just college kids in America looking for energy bars. It's a whole kind of different persona, right? Um, so, and that takes us through to where you guys are today. One thing that I wanted you to kind of talk about is how you've built out your own, your own SMS platform. I know all like SMS is all the rage with brands. Everyone's like using their own platforms, but I don't think a lot of brands have taken it to the lengths that you have in terms of like really customizing, thinking through the whole customer experience and building out to match that. So why don't you just talk to us a little bit about like where you guys have come with SMS in your DNA and like how you actually thought about building out your platform and why you built it out in-house? Absolutely. Great question. So as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, in those early dorm room days, our friends were texting us to get bars. When we relaunched that second version of the brand in May of 2018, we decided to anchor the brand around this concept of human energy. And we decided that inherent to human energy was personalized uh, relationships with our customers. And so one of my co-founders, Andre, is a brilliant engineer, um, also one of my best friends in the world. Um, I also live with him, <laughs> uh, but he, uh, in this kind of early time, um, decided to actually create a separate Slack channel for every single customer that we had um, by bars online. Um, and we were literally texting all of our customers in a different Slack channel. Um, and <laughs> we eventually maxed out the number of Slack channels that you could create. So that was like, how, how many is that? <laughs> I don't remember, but it's definitely at least a thousand. Um, so that, that was V1. From there, we decided, okay, we actually need to build a platform that will allow us to text customers at scale, place orders for them, push off subscription shipments ship bars to one of their friends. And Andre actually built that first iteration of the platform entirely by himself. So by the time that um, we relaunched the brand in May of 2018, Andre built the platform, we launched all online, had our best revenue month ever, and then had a period of 36 consecutive months of positive revenue growth, um, primarily driven by a massive increase um, in the size of our subscriber base all of which were interacting with us over SMS. Um, during that initial period, um, the three co-founders texted every single customer for about the first four months. We would, actually more than that, um, almost our first whole year, um, we would do our work early in the morning, later at night, and in between texting com customers all day long. Um, it was a massive amount of effort and I know that it was worth it because we learned so much from them. Um, <laughs> at one point in time, Andre and I brought in another college roommate who had some time before law school. He ended up taking over, texting all of our customers. There were no automations, no anything built out at that point in time. Um, we realized that wasn't scalable. And so the second iteration, um, beyond just the founders literally texting our customers, um, was to bring people in house. So 
So we hired our first in-house CX person in June of 2019. And we actually scaled that team out to over 10 individuals full-time devoted to texting our customers. While we did that, we also built out our engineering team to about six engineers. And our engineering team was able to watch the way CX agents were interacting with customers and build a lot of automations in our workflows. Um, they built out a lot of kind of services by themselves, not using any other platform. Um, and in that way, we were able to make SMS a lot more efficient. And from there, the sort of V3 is we transitioned from having this in-house team of more than 10 individuals, which came at the expense of our bottom line, to a very small outsource team, an incredible engineering team, um, and a great platform with a lot of automation um, to enable us to scalably talk to over 100,000 monthly subscribers every single month. I find that I find that fascinating, but I also find that initial hire that you did like a key hire, especially because SMS wasn't huge at that time. So what were some of the key attributes of that hire that, you know, you guys like this, this person has to be X, Y, Z and have this experience? Or was it more like, hey, this isn't really something that people have done before there aren't sms experts out there what are we looking for here yeah that's a great question so in our first um cx hires one of the um most important traits that we looked for was simply grit and persistence texting customers all day long is really hard and um believe it or not two of the first hires that we made onto that cx team ended up growing into roles entirely unrelated to that initial job. They learned so much from customers over a year, two years, that one of them became our influencer manager for a while. And the other one um, is on our people team today and likely on a path to becoming chief of staff. Um, so that uh, kind of grit and persistence was essential to just getting through, you know, 3,000 tickets in a day, which is so much greater volume than any CX agent on like email could handle, but shows, you know, the power of automation as well as just the efficiencies within the platform that we've built. Um, so I think those are sort of some of the essential traits. Uh, when it comes to SMS strategy, um, that was largely architected by the three founders. Um, and so I think the way we did that, uh, the way we architected that strategy was really in a customer first way. We knew we wanted to build relationships with customers. We knew we wanted to grow our subscriber base. We knew we wanted to mitigate churn. We knew we wanted to increase average order value. And so we thought about all of these kind of key strategic pillars of the business and then thought about how we could integrate them into SMS. Got it. And it seems like your guys' strategy in terms of like hiring a bunch of engineers is pretty unique in the CPG space, right? And maybe even um, if you're thinking about like the customer experience and being able to grow and use that like really customer first mentality to like scale up, it seems like that was probably an unfair advantage for you guys to be able to scale up, have systems that other brands couldn't tap into, be able to be customer centric in a way other brands couldn't and really devote time to like building out a holistic like like we we're saying, having six engineers building out a 
digital product for your your product which is like a physical bar like that's that's a lot um that's a lot of resources devoted to, to architecting that sort of experience so um what was your what was kind of your intuition that led you down that path when a lot of people might just look to say oh let's just look at you know what other enablement solutions are out there we'll buy some SaaS and we'll stitch our stack together and you know rather than you saying, oh no, 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 we wanna we wanna really go hard on this. Yeah, great question. So I won't say that we were the first brand to really lean into SMS from a direct consumer perspective. There was a brand before us called Dirty Lemon, which you may be familiar with, that um, became known as the kind of first brand to pioneer texting their customers individually. Um, as I mentioned before, we knew that we wanted to text our customers one-on-one, -on -one, have SMS be such a critical part, not only of our strategy, but of the brand. And at the time in late 2017, early 18, there, there did not exist strong and effective SMS solutions. Um, a lot of the SMS solutions that you see that have come up over the past couple of years are very new um, and they are evolving too. What I think has allowed us to be really successful is that as we've built the platform, we've also built the brand as opposed to just building a software platform um, in itself. And in that way, I think we've been able to come up with a lot of sort of verb custom solutions um, that have been extremely effective in increasing LTV, reducing churn um, and down the line. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's definitely an investment having six engineers on the team is an investment we're a, we're a lean startup we're a lean organization um for us because it's I, I always love to say sms is in our dna because it's in our dna it has 100 percent been worth it no absolutely and i i mean um for even for us like when we were building out we were doing heavy sms in you know 27 2016 2017 2018 but that was all stuff that we had to build out with Twilio and our engineers built out our whole in-house system. It wasn't just something you could just hook up, plug and play and have it done. So the fact that you guys did that, I think, um, you know, just goes to show how, how focused you guys were on the customer experience and you even as the founders constantly chatting with the customers. I think that's something that's, that's really important, especially in that phase where you're really trying to nail something that's truly, truly scalable across all your different customers. Right. Um, so that, so that kind of leads us into our next question, um, which is around, um, you know, go to market, right? Like you said that some of the ways that you grew early on were unique. So how did you guys approach growth beyond just like leaning into um, providing an amazing customer experience? What were some of the other growth levers that you guys were pulling that enabled you guys to start reaching some scale? Totally. So when we were just getting started, the way we thought about building the brand was we we thought, figured that we were creating a category. Most people have never had a caffeinated snack. So we wanted to make the barrier to entry as low as possible to get as much trial as we could out of new customers. We believed in the product. And at the time in a world where Facebook CPMs were really low and you could get away with a really low average order value first purchase and pay back on it very quickly. This ended up being an extremely effective strategy. So in um, the summer of 2018, right after we launched the brand, we launched a three bar trial on Facebook. 
Um, we were sitting in our Airbnb in Austin, Texas. I screenshotted a, a, a photo that I think we had gotten from a photographer in Instagram stories, added a text overlay. We put it on Facebook the next day. And um, let's just say that the other two co-founders and I spent a lot of time at the post office that summer. Um, it was <laughs> an extremely effective strategy. Um, and, you know, we were acquiring customers for two or three dollars. Um, and that's, you know, how we got to our first, I think about 30,000 subscribers was through that um, kind of trial offering. One thing that happened concurrently was at the end of that year, we recognized that um, social proof was such a key way to get trial given the newness of the product. And we started working with influencers. And this is also a time where the influencer space wasn't super saturated. Um, and I remember that the first two influencers we worked with um, cost several thousand dollars, which for us was a significant investment at the time. Um, and I remember we told them to post between like 3 and 5 p.m. because that's when people would be hitting the afternoon slump. I happened to be at the gym um, during one of those first influencer posts. And at the time, we used to get Slack notifications for every single order. And I was literally just sitting at the gym doing nothing, watching orders come in for an hour because I could not believe the magnitude and the volume of orders that we were getting from that one influencer post. And for the next two years, Influencer was our number one channel as a brand. Um, definitely other brands that thrived on Influencer during that time. Definitely other brands that could say the same thing. Um, but for us, it was such a great way to leverage social proof. Um, and, you know, many of the influencers that we started working with then have been partners of ours for many years. Um, one great example is uh, one of our earliest influencers is named Jen Todrick. Her Instagram handle is the rambling redhead. Um, she initially promoted the verb trial pack in its earliest iteration. And going into Black Friday 2020, we decided to actually do a co-branded partnership with her um, on a product launch. We really believed in the authenticity of building influencer relationships. And so we went to Jen and we said, hey, Jen, we'd love to do a flavor collab with you. Um, do you have anything that you think would be effective or successful? And she said, I actually think I have something great. I have a coffee shop and the top selling flavor or top selling latte in my coffee shop is cookie butter latte. I think that if we created a cookie butter flavored bar together, it would do incredibly well. And so we decided to create that flavor together. We have an in-house chef who's been working with Burb for over two years. Um, and he created that flavor in his kitchen, sent Jen prototypes. She gave us some direction. We worked with her on the packaging. And then for Black Friday of 2020, we launched that co-branded cookie butter flavor and had our best revenue day in history by a country mile. We did over $300,000 in revenue. Um, and it was actually our top selling flavor for um, all of 2021. Uh, thereafter. So um, such a great way to just build an authentic relationship. And our customers loved it. A lot of our customers had actually become customers because they knew Jen. Um, and I think that was, you know, one of the best ways that our brand was able to lean into growth um, that maybe was a little bit different from how some other brands were thinking about it at the time. What year was this? 2020, uh, the, you said? 
The partnership, yeah. Um, yeah, the partnership and the launch of Cookie Butter was 2020. So, I mean, that sounds amazing. 300K um, while hitting the weights at the gym. <laughs> it sounds like a great day. So how then, like, I mean, I assume you guys are like, well, how do we how do we scale this? How, have you done more of those partnerships or it's just like, it, it's just really complicated to pull this together and, you know, the alignment has to be so perfect that it's just really hard to scale. Yeah. So we care a lot about integrity as a brand and only want to work with influencer partners that are aligned with our brand values, with our diversity, equity, and inclusion values. And um, I think that's really, really important. And partially for that reason, um, we have not done any co-branded product launches since then, except for one. Um, we launched a couple summers ago, a lemon raspberry flavor with a chef named Nick DiGiovanni, um, who's one of the biggest food TikTokers now. And it was a little bit uh, before he became big on TikTok, um, but in a very similar strategy. We said, hey, um, I think we could build a great story behind this launch. Let's build a fruit forward flavor. Let's have Nick go to farmer's markets, pick up some raspberries, pick up some lemons and create this amazing bar. Um, and we launched that, uh, I believe it was in late May, early June. Ended up being a great performer too. But similar to Jen, Nick was really brand aligned. We had known him for a while. Um, and I think, you know, advice that I would give anyone else is if you're going to do a formal partnership, um, outside of maybe just like a sponsored post, but let's call it a kind of co-branded product or a product launch together, really make sure that you've built this kind of foundation of trust with that individual or individuals um, to make sure that it's successful. Beyond that, when you look at the influencer space as a whole, as I'm sure you know, it's changed a lot over the past four years. When we first got into it, um, you know, influence Instagram stories were brand new. Um, influencers would maybe post a couple of sponsored posts a week. And over, you know, the last four years, we've seen that change a lot. Um, and if you go to some influencer stories today, you'll see 50 slides and 25 of them are sponsored posts. And um, in that world, it becomes a lot harder to really stand out and be authentic. Um, and so what we've really done with our strategy is focus in on influencers who truly believe in the brand. Um, and some of these influencers that we work with are, you know, have large followings like Sean Johnson. She's former Olympian, um, has several million followers on Instagram. We've worked with her for several years. Her content continues to perform really well for us as a brand. Um, but let's say some of the folks that we worked with two or three years ago who maybe hadn't heard of Verb, we sent them some bars, they posted on their story once, it sold a lot of product. That strategy isn't really working anymore because those influencers are the ones who are posting 50 slides. Yeah, I mean, I think one one thing that's really interesting here is just the speed at which like all of these marketing sort of channels evolved, right? Like. First, you were talking about Facebook. Um, that opportunity isn't quite there to be able to like give your free offer and have like the same CPM you were seeing. Then you were you guys were quick into influencer. That whole strategy's changed, and now the direction you need to go is like you're saying. You need to be working with people who have the long term partnership in mind as opposed to just a one off post. Because like if it's just one post, like they're gonna post it and it's gone. Whereas the first time influencers were doing posts, people hadn't seen that stuff before and everyone was like buying everything. It was like, buy, 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 right? Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question is, you guys have always kind of been on the forefront of 
um, kind of sussing out like really good opportunities for marketing and being able to put your focus there. What are some of the other than like some of these collaborations that you're looking into? What are some of the um, marketing channels that you guys are seeing a lot of opportunity in in the current landscape? Yeah, I think um, probably most importantly than what channels are we seeing the most success in um, is I would say how, how have we evolved our strategy given what's going on across channels today? As I mentioned earlier, when we first launched um, our strategy at the beginning was sell three bars, just cover shipping. In a world of you know 15 plus dollar CPMs um, on Facebook and skyrocketing influencer rates, that's never going to work. And for us, a key, key part of continuing to be successful over the past couple of years has been an AOV increase and correspondingly LTV increase, um, as well as a gross margin build. And um, without getting too into the specifics, I would just say that we have um, over 3x our average order value in about the last 24 months. Um, and we've increased our gross margin by nearly 20 percentage points by shifting order mixes, by optimizing manufacturing methods. And you know, if you go on Twitter today, you can learn from pretty much anyone that e-commerce is not easy. And I think that you got to be really, really thoughtful about the way that you're building a plan from a revenue to a gross profit to bottom line um, perspective, knowing what channels are available to you, what products you have available to you, and how you can be successful. Which, which varies a lot in the category unit economics, etc., which is why you said that it all starts from, um, you know, you break it down from the unit economics. And I, I again, I, I do think that a lot of companies um, and you can still obviously build in some of these verticals that aren't as obvious and even some forgotten ones like affiliate marketing and blogs are still huge channels. We're seeing a lot of retail. Um, are you guys doing anything that's like traditional? Like, yeah, be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, we are marketing on Facebook every single day. It's a very hefty portion of our marketing budget. Um, for us, you know, whitelisting has been a really effective strategy. Um, for several years there, we'll take some of our best influencers content like Sean Johnson um, and whitelist it. We'll be really thoughtful about creative testing, test different hooks, different cuts, different captions down the line. Um, the platform has evolved so much. And, you know, at this point in time, you just got to it's it, you got to just get the right creative together and do a lot of testing and see what works. And Facebook will almost do a lot of the work for you. Um, but Facebook's big for us. Um, influencer continues to be an important channel. Referral continues to be an important channel. Traditional, you know, Google always been a big channel for us. We launched on Amazon in November. Um, that's an exploding channel for us right now. We've uh, I think we're going to see about hundred percent, nearly a hundred percent quarter over quarter growth um, on Amazon from Q2 into Q3. Um, so we're absolutely, I mean, we're, we're a brand with a mission to be accessible. <laughs> and what that means is we want people to find us on the channels where they expect to find us. Part of that is online. Part of that is going to be offline in the very near future. So all direct to consumer or I mean, Amazon, if you consider it direct, to not, but like no retail, no physical retail stores yet. As of today, our brand is all verbenergy.com and Amazon. Um, we've done some partnerships with Misfits Market, um, which you may be familiar with. 
um, imperfect foods, um, largely on kind of excess inventory, outdated inventory. Um, and, and for us, 2023 is going to be the year where um, we really go into retail um, and make a big push there. So uh, we brought on a VP of sales early this year. We've been building a retail strategy for a very long time, and we're super excited to be launching in stores actually for the first time in December um, with many more to come in 2023. That's super exciting in terms of the fact that you, you guys started out building it from the dorm room, being able to go from SMS, continue scale all the way, continuing to still sell through SMS and then being able to eventually really start um, scaling into retail. Uh, and Matt, before we wrap up here, one last thing I want to talk about is I know you had mentioned, um, you know, some other initiatives that you guys were looking at, like your being able to test uh, different recipes and all that really quickly. So why don't you t- tell us a little bit about your guys's strategy in terms of product development? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for us, taste uh, has always been absolutely critical to the success of the business. Uh, As a result, we've had in-house chefs on our team for almost our entire history. Um, Our first or second hire actually was um, a product guy. Uh, And today we have a chef whose name is also Matt um, and who before this interview was joking that he should just come in and pretend to be me. <laughs> who's been on the team. Yeah, he's been on the team for about two years. He develops all of our products in his kitchen. Um, every single flavor undergoes dozens, sometimes hundreds of unique iterations to get it to the right place. Um, about a year ago, we decided to launch our first non-bar product. We called it Energizing Drink Mix. We as a brand, as I mentioned at the beginning, have always thought of ourselves as an energy brand, not a bar brand. So we decided to launch a drink mix, which is a powder that had caffeine in it as well, um, collagen, fruit powders, um, very low in sugar, very low in calories. We developed this um, together with Chef Matt, launched it in the middle of 2021. Um, what we very soon realized was um, customers had issues with the product. When we were developing it in our kitchen, we would add the powder to a glass and then add water. When we shipped it to customers for the first time, we realized that they were putting water in the glass and then adding the powder. And what that resulted in was clumping issues. And while our initial rates of orders were really high, customers were excited to try something new from Verb, um, excited in this energy brand, um, the repeat rates weren't where we wanted. So towards the end of last year, we came up with what I think is a really cool and innovative concept called Verb Test Kitchen. And the way Verb Test Kitchen works is our, our goal is to maximize quality bets at scale while minimizing risk to our brand or our bottom line. And so what we've been doing through the Test Kitchen, our first launch was late spring, second launch was over the summer, take concepts that we've gotten from customer feedback that we're really excited about, do small scale production runs for those concepts, launch them to a small subset of customers gather feedback, both qualitative and quantitative from those customers. And from there, decide whether we want to launch that product or that subline at all. Um, and it's been, it's been great. We first ran it with a low sugar iteration of our snack bars. Um, that was super successful that we've actually launched two low sugars in low sugar bars, excuse me, in full to date. And then this summer, we launched a caffeinated protein bar 
through the test kitchen got amazing feedback. I think about 70% of customers said they would absolutely purchase the product again. And in about three weeks, we're going to be launching three SKUs of a caffeinated protein bar um, to the world. So I think it's been a great way to take some of these nascent concepts, some of which are going to be bigger bets than maybe just a low sugar version of our original bar, test them out among our customers, both new and repeat, and then decide whether we want to launch. Yeah, I think that's really exciting in terms of like, you've got the customer base, you've built the brand, you've got all the retention, um, you know, sort of thinking in your DNA, and then being able to rapidly iterate with new products, see what sticks. And if it does, then you can have the conversation about, okay, how do we like really bring this to scale within within the business? So that's really exciting um, for you guys. And then in terms of any other plans, anything else on the roadmap um, that's exciting that you're excited about other than retail and being able to test out a whole bunch of new products? Um, whew, that's a great question. I would just say that uh, retail has been, you know, this passion project of mine um, for several years. Um, one of the retailers that we're going to be going into later this year, I first started thinking about um, with an advisor of ours in 2019. And I still have the original spreadsheet from February of 2019 that we worked on together to model out costs and down the line. Um, and in December, we're going to make that happen. Um, I think it will be a really, really special moment for me as a founder to be able to walk into a store um, and see, you know, thousands of herb bars, um, which should be very, very cool. Yeah. And it's just exciting too, with, with all the, like, with all the brand equity that you've built up in, in, in the one-to-one sort of sense, being able to kind of amplify that with your retail, I think is going to be really exciting because it seems like you guys have really, a lot of brands try to go into retail a little bit quicker, which is great. It's a great part of the growth strategy, but already having so much like direct brand recognition, now you're almost going to be able to like snowball on top of that. So that'll be a really exciting, um, you know, inflection point for the business. Absolutely. Yeah. We've sold, over 40 million bars on our website to date. Um, and hopefully we can sell a lot more than that, both online and offline moving forward. Sweet. So, so Matt, for our listeners, where can they learn more about you, Verb, the bars, uh, and everything else? Are you guys, um, are you personally on Twitter or LinkedIn? Like where can people connect with you and where can they connect with Verb, the company? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. If you just search my name, Matt Zarnecki, you'll find me. Um, and yeah, the, honestly, the best way to get in touch with Verb is to text us. What's uh, what what's the number? Uh, I will send it to you. <laughs> you know, we we'll, can we'll throw it in the show notes. Maybe add it to the show notes. <laughs> it used to be four one five nine one five eight three seven two. But now it's different. Um, so, so, so Matt isn't going to be giving out his personal number on this call. Totally fair. You no. had enough of that in college. Um, but yeah, we'll drop that in the show notes. And just wanted to thank you for coming on, sharing the story about Verb, and excited to see where uh, you guys continue to take the business. Thank you, awesome. Matt. Thanks so much for all the thoughtful questions. Have a great evening. You too. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.